0: Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes podcast. This is a three-part interview series featuring the prolific artist, Kathy Elkwoman Whitman. Elkwoman happens to be my mother-in-law and I have had the privilege to be in her life for over 14 years. I am proud to be her daughter-in-law and also so humbled to share her story on Broken Boxes, finally. (laughs) This interview miniseries is hosted by my partner in life and art, Chinupa Hanska Luger, who is Elk Woman's son. We recorded these sessions on Christmas day of 2021 at her oldest daughter, Shannon's house in Denver, Colorado. There is something so special about witnessing this type of sharing intergenerationally around art. And I hope you enjoy listening to this series as much as I enjoyed producing it for my family. May Elkwoman's story and her conversation with her son bring deeper understanding to the joy, pain, resilience, ancestral wisdom, and stubborn fight that weaves through all the generations of these badass Indigenous artists. I'll read a brief bio for Elkwoman and for Chinupa to set the stage. Kathy Elkwoman Whitman is a fearless artist who over the course of her life has continually taken creative risks and pushed conceptual boundaries in the Native art world. A true multidisciplinary artist and an enrolled member of the three affiliated tribes of Fort Berthold, Elkwoman is a master stone and metal sculptor, a painter, a jeweler, and a fashion designer. Over the course of her career, Elk Woman has been honored with many prestigious awards and participated in numerous exhibitions around the world. She is a member of the Indigenous Sculptor Society and continues to lead art workshops and participate in artist residencies throughout the United States. Her artwork is in many public collections and she continues to be acknowledged in the Indigenous art world as a groundbreaking artist of her generation. When asked about her life as an artist, Elkwoman reflects that what she truly loves and appreciates about her life is the ability to continue to create and impact the world with her artwork. Chinupahanska Lugar is a multidisciplinary artist and an enrolled member of the three affiliated tribes of Fort Berthold and of Mandan Hiratsa Rikara and Lakota descent. Through monumental installations, performance, and social collaboration, Luger activates speculative fiction and communicates stories about 21st century indigeneity. Now, this is a three-part chronological broadcast series, so I recommend listening to it in order. Thank you for tuning into Broken Boxes podcast, and we really appreciate you.
1: Okay. Mads gerads, son. (laughs) <laughs> and Zagits <laughs> and Gittio Aniwa I'm Maro Gawia, elk woman from the three affiliated tribes Mandan, Nueta, um, Hidadza, and Saanish, and of the Awache clan, same as you. Thank you, and thank you, Ginger, my dear daughter in law, Abapui,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to um, do this. I'm honored and happy about this.
3: <laughs> so, we are both artists. Yes. And I thought it would be kind of nice for us to have a conversation around a little bit of that background and the history. Uh, it's, it's. I think it's a rare opportunity to understand this like intergenerational practice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been true. For a time in memorial, and so I guess the first thing I want to uh, have you kind of describe is um, your early life. Create us a setting. Create us the 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 place that um, kind of inspired you to move towards art. You know, let's maybe get to that position, and then we'll move on from there.
1: Way back there,
3: <laughs> five hundred years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, where do I begin? <laughs> Well, my ancestors, no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Them too.
1: I know, I know. It's in the genes. Um, in my own life, I get. I'll start from there, because I grew up in the country, away from so many people. You know, in the community, we were never. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of. Uh, you couldn't after school go play with your friends, you know, or that, and so. Um, and then going to country school till I was a fifth grader, we did a lot of art projects, which I was really good at. (laughs) I mean, I enjoyed it, you know, we did paper mache stuff a lot, which was good teaching because like, I remember doing a map of the United States, not the United States, but North America and South America, you know? So that was pretty cool as far as, um, it was a really good teaching thing to learn like about the Rocky mountains, you know, going, I always remember that building them up and, and painting them and such. Um, Plus, we didn't have a TV because we lived in a coulee, so we couldn't, we didn't have a good reception, and we only had radio, no phone, you know, so there was no communication. So, so many times we either waited at the country school, which was on top of the hill, you know, a few miles away. Um, me and my siblings, well, really it was Auntie Jackie. She was five years older than me, so she was there for a couple of years before mm-hmm. she went to public school because it only went up to eighth grade um but our community community was really tight knit you know um we did community things together but most of my stuff when i went home i was alone a lot other than my sister and she may or may not want to play with me because of the age difference you know and i was little and wanted we used to do paper dolls so we used to draw our own paper dolls And then draw our own clothes for them, you know, and put them on, you know, color them and put these tabs and put them on there. So there was so much of that, you know. uh, I always feel like that was honing my skills and my creativity, too, because I was alone a lot, you know, and had to imagine stuff, make up stuff and, you know, create things. I'd play in the woods and pretend like I was cooking and get bark, old bark, you know, and that was my food, (laughs) you know, my made up food. and it it was really honing my imagination you know and i feel like that now in retrospect um and then we rode horseback a lot you know just sometimes we just ride around in the corral without anything on them you know if especially i could do that when nobody wanted to put help me put the saddle on you know or the bridle that was too short um and then sometimes we rode to our neighbors or they would come back with us, you know, after school, walk home, and then ride horseback and then gee, probably ride ten miles, you know, five miles, six miles one way. But it was it was in retrospect, it's really good memories, you know? That kind of thing. I always wished that we could have God that I could have raised you guys that way, you know. <clears throat>
3: It's too early to start crying, <laughs> um how many siblings did you have?
1: um there was five of us, though I had four siblings and a half sister
3: and so where that were, would have been the Where were you thing. at in that
1: the youngest yeah, where <laughs> you just um you learn to um adjust or learn to. Um, it's kind of hard to find your your um, who you are because you're trying to emulate your siblings all the time, you know. Because your whatever you do is never never right or never good enough. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of it takes you a while to find your own, come into your own, or you know, be your own.
3: Yeah, when you when you are looking at older siblings, you develop you don't even know what right or wrong is you all you have is the previous models yeah right? and yep. so the previous models you can't find yourself if you're constantly comparing yourself to the previous model you yeah know, that's yeah. not self even if you emulated it perfectly that's yeah. not self.
1: right right i know but when you're young you just when they keep telling you that's not right you should do this you need to do it this way or you know it's not good enough kind of a thing And then always trying to live up to their expectations or their standards. There was that for a long time. And, um, you know, and of course it goes into um, your adult life and then your peers or whoever, you know, or whoever's you think are your judges or who you're trying to impress, like, like thinking art or whatever. You're always trying to satisfy them, you know, try to live up to everybody's expectations. I mean, I did that for a long time. And... Really, I think the turning point, the real turning point of that was when I got cancer and went through that whole thing, you know, was like, F you all, you know, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, I'm going to do what I want to do and do what I've always wanted to do. I mean, my my nose piercing and my tattoos and whatnot in, in old age. I mean, you know, in later years, it's things that I've always like... You know, kind of longed for, but uh it's well, not acceptable and <laughs> my even culturally you know I mean that was kind of my felt like that until I learned about our um our new it the try one of the one of the bands that were called those that tattooed themselves, you know, so I was like, ah, makes so, sense, so you <laughs> tattooed yourself <laughs> well, <laughs> kinda. Well, <laughs>
3: Let's let's back it up. So you are the youngest
2: mm-hmm.
3: of six total. Yeah, and um, you're comparing yourself to to the previous models. You're you know the expectations and everybody else as well. Like you're not doing the way doing it the way we did it, and so we, we also expect you to do better. You yeah. Know? So there's there's uh there, it's compounded. Um, and you're constantly being taught that over and over through the hard lesson of being a child in the world. Yeah. But you found freedom in uh, your imagination. You yeah. know, in, mm-hmm. in that space, you can eat, bark, and that's fine. It's satiating. <laughs> um, you don't even have to chew on it or anything. Just yeah. the act of cooking it will satiate you. But I'm I'm wondering about how that imagined kind of space began to influence and kind of guide you in the direction of, of art? Like, uh, were your parents or did you have any other, um, people from that older generation that kind of said art was a viable, uh, uh, possibility? Like, how did you make that leap?
1: Oh, that was crazy. Um, well, grandpa painted, you know, my dad painted, um, but not much. I mean, he dabbled, he was good at it, but he never really you know he did a few just and and never it was never a thing to him to even go into that and um yeah my my siblings were creative i mean my you know auntie janney was a seamstress she went to school for that she was good at sewing really creative cool designs you know she did a lot of western wear and with all these fancy swirly yokes and um and then auntie sharon went into medicine you know she became a nurse at first and then became a pa later on But, you know, independent in that way to want to do stuff. Um, And then Uncle JC went to college, and then he got a degree. And they were musicians. Grandpa was a musician. Grandma was a singer. You know, Grandpa played a saxophone. And and then all his siblings, not not only his siblings, but in-laws and then cousins, they all played. They had a big band, Carl Whitman Jr., big band, you know. Um, Orchestra, they played. And so there was that. And then Uncle JC became a musician, played guitar and wrote songs. He had a band. They played together peri- periodically, but mostly it was, you know, separate. Um, we used to sing a lot, you know, <laughs> the the Lennon sisters. Anyways, they used to get so mad at me because I could not harmonize with them. I mean, I would start harmonizing by myself. I could do it good, play my part till we all sing together. They <laughs> get so mad. Oh, no, it's not like this. Anyway. Um. There, So there was that, there was a creativity thing. And, and I remember Uncle JC telling me that those three sisters that we came from, I mean, there was beyond that, but those three sisters, those Walker sisters, that they were real creative and had medicine. And they were all really different from each other. I mean, there's that picture of them, you know, ones in... Old high top moccasins with her scarf pulled down, and then there was one that kind of had a little beret type of hat on. That was her that's the one we came from, and then the other one was like in between both of them. She had both, you know, had a had a shawl on, but then kind of had a hat on, you know.
3: So are, uh, these three sisters are they your great grand great grandmother or?
1: Yeah, they were um, grandpa my grandpa Whitman. They were, um, Carl Whitman Sr. was his mom, mm. and then the two sisters, so yeah, they were my great grandmothers. Gee, that's not even that long ago, yeah, but great grandmothers, yeah. And I, of course, I didn't know much about them, but on his mom's side, then I kind of know more about his mom's mother, Otharahesh, more because he, because she raised him mostly, you know, so I he talked about her more so then. In the other one and I don't know the other one was I don't even know if he knew her you know or if she passed away I don't even know that much gee that's terrible but I don't even know but there was that and so just that they they were all kind of my siblings having some kind of art form I came into it just because that's what I always did you know it was it was my pastime to draw and, you know, besides playing with things, that's I, I, what I, I drew and painted a lot, like watercolors or whatever, just, it was, took up my time, you know, and on anything. I mean, I have, still have this one picture on cardboard, on a cardboard paper, that's this woman on a horseback with a cowboy hat, and she's got a cigarette sticking out of her
3: mouth. Real cool.
1: <laughs> really cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> grandma and grandpa both smoked, you know. It was the thing, you know, yeah.
3: horses and uh, wore (laughs) cowboy hats. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But really the, and then, and then when I got married, I mean, I was always creating when I was in high school, going to boarding school, you know, we didn't have much. So I in home ec class, you know, that I learned to sew how to fuse a pattern and whatnot. And then I made my own clothes, you know, and, and me and um, Auntie Jackie for one summer, we even kind of tried this little put an ad in the paper when we lived in Albuquerque in the summer and to do clothing, you know, and we to to uh, do what do you call that when you tailor people's clothes? I mean, you fix them or whatever. Um, and, you know, tried, we just barely got a few orders, but still, but I, I sewed a lot of stuff for myself, you know, and that was my thing. I mean, I mean, my clothes. Uh, mostly and buy go buy remnant material, you know, that was cheap and just kind of uh,
3: this is what the mid 60s,
1: um, 50s? Late, 60s. Late, yeah, late 60s, yeah, yeah, because I was in when I Auntie Jackie graduated in '65, and so when I went to boarding school, I think it was '67.
3: And where did you go to boarding school
1: on the Navajo Reservation at Ganado Mission?
3: And grandpa has a connection to boarding schools yeah. down
1: there, right? Oh yeah. Well, I'm not boarding schools. He did a Rough Rock Demonstration School. He wrote the he wrote this education um thesis, I guess you might say, or a plan. And he wanted to implement it in North Dakota, of course, at Fort Berthold, but given the politics and all that kind of stuff, they didn't they didn't want to they didn't want to listen to it or think it was anything and um they took it down there. They, I mean, they appreciated it. They understood it. They valued it. You know,
3: as and, Grandpa would have said, you can't be a prophet in your hometown. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and and you know, it was it was about so ironic. I mean, he was way ahead of his time. It was about teaching our culture, our ways, our language in in the school system as well. And you know, of course, that didn't come happen up there. At Fort Berthold or even a lot of the Northern Plains, it's just now coming into the state. I mean, they just now passed it that they're going to teach native history in all the schools, supposedly. I mean, that bill was passed, you know, but this is like, you know, yeah, 60s, probably late 60s.
3: So that brought you into the Southwest? um, Yeah,
1: because he yeah, well, first he we moved away because that winter he was in politics I and mean, he was a chairman three different times and he always wanted to do, wanted, he struggled or, you know, what, what was, what did the tribe need? You know what? He always wanted it to trying to find that key, like what we were talking about, you know, how do you inspire people? How do you get people to have self-determination? How do you get people to be self-sufficient and that all of that kind of thing? You know, I mean, there, there was ups and downs in our people that, that did have that at one time and then lost it through the flood and just having things being taken away. And so he, he, um, that winter of 66, I think it was, it might've been 65. It was one of the worst winters ever. And we we lived on a ranch and he had cattle and horses and and it wasn't a big one, but it was sustainable. And he had two bulls, two charlay bulls. That was like a new thing too, you know, because like, they put more pounds on your calves and stuff. So he um got those and I, th- I don't even know how long we had them. maybe if just a few years and that winter both those bulls died and a bunch of cattle and it was just really devastating and i remember we had a big horse herd too that he had accumulated and it was just you know it was like just starting to build remember i was telling you how he had wanted to have like this so-called dude ranch and you know where people would come and want to learn how to ride and all that i mean and, you know, even when as far as putting up the sign and painting this really great, great sign and everything for it. But anyway, it all just fizzled away and it was like the rug was pulled out from under him and he was just lost faith. And, you know, just all that we talked about, you know, it was just like he threw in the towel, pretty much gave up and um, looked for greener pastures. And he um, got a job as a VISTA instructor in Phoenix out of ASU and um
3: could you describe a vista instructor oh well
1: it's like it's kind of like the peace corps but in the united states and on it was mostly on reservations probably even in poorer communities besides native but um the first one that we did i mean i that he was at and that we went to and stayed we just stayed in this little cabin i mean they're little they built their own little prefab places the volunteers that came you know young college students or whatever they would come to work and they um, built a rodeo grounds at Cibecue on the Apache Reservation in um, Arizona, and uh, it was um, gee, that name just came out of my mouth. I was like, how did I remember that? Um, but it was really cool, you know. They never had they they were cowboys, you know, and cowgirls, but they didn't have the facility. and And that that's what he loved to do was create that. And, it, and they've, I think they still have rodeos to this day, you know, but that's what he started as. And then, I don't know, I think he got tired of the, my understanding was always he was frustrated with whoever his bosses were, <laughs> or, you know, whoever directed pulled the strings and, um, and he quit and um, he got a job on the Hopi Reservation as a CAP director, which is community action program, which was right up his alley, you know, and he got that there. That's how I got to boarding school because we were so far away from any public schools and I met kids that summer, Hopi kids that you I know, made friends with and then, like, was either go to Phoenix Indian School or go to Ganado Mission and Ganado Mission was closer to Keem's Canyon. Of course, I thought my folks were going <laughs> to live there for years. Um, so that's where I chose to go and ended up staying there for three years. In the meantime, my folks moved. you know, After a time he didn't, want to be there anymore so he got a job at um southern colorado at the southern not southern ute but northern ute northern what is it called northern mountain ute it was at ignatio anyway and it was kind of the same i don't know exactly what his position was but it was kind of a, a high-paying job and um but it was for the tribe and he only stayed there year i almost quit boarding school and went there at winter's you know break but I was like, mm, last minute, and I thought, no, I'm going to go back to boarding school. And sure enough, they moved, you know. So I was like, oh, thank God I didn't stay, you know. Um, they moved around a lot. So my stability was the boarding school. You know, that was where my, I it was a for sure deal, although it was pretty lonely. I mean, as far as family, family and that root system that I had on the res, you know, growing up on the res, and then leaving when I was a seventh grader, it was... I always um, longed for that. I always felt like I missed that. You know, I missed out on that um, period of my life on the res. I would have really... And I guess I always kind of wanted to go back to that. You know, I always wanted to get that back.
3: So when did you... um, You graduated from the boarding school. This is...
1: Actually, I didn't graduate from there because after three years of being there, I was like really involved. I was a cheerleader. I was on the... um, What do you call it? Yearbook... Thing and I was supposed to be the editor of the yearbook the next year. I was assistant when I was a junior. And I, do I say this? On-
2: <laughs> no, but,
1: I mean, honestly, I just got tired of boarding school. Oh, my God. Um, and we lived in Albuquerque. And so that summer, grandma and grandpa were there. They were on, grandpa was on unemployment. And um Auntie Jackie would go back to Dickinson to go to college in the fall. But she was in Albuquerque in the summer and she'd work as a cocktail waitress in this club. And I was what was I sixteen? Gonna be seventeen that summer, but I was sixteen and I don't know, it was kinda like I had that first feeling of freedom living with her and them and I was paying I worked at a car hop, you know, at a drive in and But I contributed. I mean, I was paying part of the rent and the food and whatnot. That was that summer. We were trying to do seamstress stuff and um, I just got, really had that taste of freedom. I mean, I would go to the clubs with her and dance because I love to dance, you know. So I just got to go there because I was her sister and also started smoking weed that summer. (laughs) So was I going to go back to boarding school after that? No.
3: It was grass back then, right? They called it grass.
1: Well, grass, grass, and weed. So then, I mean, that's the truth. Yeah,
3: so, well, that's that's good because then what happened? You didn't go back to boarding school. You no. got a taste of the world. Yeah. And suddenly, boarding school was too small. Oh
1: God! Yeah, I couldn't go back there.
3: I was like, you know, and um, and then my
1: folks were still. You know up in the air is there what whatever they were going to do or what you know um and so of course Auntie Jackie kind of convinced me I mean we you know we were we even though there was that big of a difference in age we were pretty close and um she was going to go back you know kind of gave a suggestion <laughs> gee maybe she'd come back with me maybe she go to school over here high school you know so it was like ah. anyway she had to she had to um, adopt me, not adopt me, but take custody of me or whatever. Really? Yeah. And my folks just signed me over. <laughs> I used to think about that. Think, gee, <laughs> They just gave me up. <laughs> but, I mean, I was pretty much on my own anyway, you know, through high school. So, I mean, I, in the summers I'd work or winter vacations I'd work. So um, I even paid for my own tuition one year because they couldn't pay it. Wasn't even that much, but maybe $200, you know, but at that time, I guess that must have been a lot. Um, Yeah, so I went back to school, went with her back to Dickinson, North Dakota. And oh, my God, I come from a boarding school of maybe 100, you know, from freshman to senior and mostly native. I mean, there might have been three white people there, you know, that I can think, remember of three or four. And and going back and going to Dickinson this all white school, huge school, and a lot of like, uh, farmer people there and just freaking racist, you know, I mean, just, and so, I don't know, I mean, I know I'm putting this out there, but I really felt like natives are just more mature and more advanced. I think, I mean, that was my realization when I went there. I just thought, God, they're just so small minded people. And my best friend in high school, I mean, who I, who was my best friend when I was in school, was an exchange student from Chile, Alicia. I mean, we, <clears throat> we connected immediately, having the same kind of cultural um, parallels or whatever you want to call it, compared to, she stayed with this farm, wealthy farm family, you know, but, but we aligned more so she was my friend in school but because my sister was in college I hung around with her at the college at the union so really then my friends had a lot of college friends that I hung out with of course smoking weed <laughs> smoking cigarettes you know I never drank though it was just not a thing to me at that time you know that was not and that's what the high school kids are doing they go to parties I went to one party and I was like Ugh. <laughs> you know, it was like, I don't like this it was not my cup of tea, you know, and I'd rather hang out with the college kids and, and go and, you know, there was coffee houses. I remember I used to sing with this one group, these two guys, you know, sing folk songs You where know? where wear army gear, you know, that you bought at the army surplus store, that kind of stuff. I was out there because I was poor, too, you know, so we I, and I worked then, too, and contributed to our me and auntie Jackie's rent and food and stuff, you know, so I really didn't have like
3: excess money. Well, and a lot of that maturity that you described is built out of, uh, necessity, you know, that the privilege that some of the farm kids experienced, they never had to, they didn't have to grow up. They didn't have to mature because it was, it was all kind of there, the privilege of it. But, um, I would say like, yeah, native, native people, um, people in different economic situations. Like it's funny because I don't know if you even recognize the economy of it. Like that I'm poor. It's just that I'm incredibly resourceful. You exactly. know? Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Because I could also, I could also see that in my own life and just thinking about all of these kind of, it's, it's interesting talking to you about your experience and me just thinking about the, <laughs> the genetic memory of that experience, oh, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, We moved around a lot. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, why? Oh, well, because that's what you know, you know? Yeah. Um, like there are parallels that you're describing that I keep thinking about. Um, so you're you're in high school, you're living on your own, you're independent, the world's radically different at this time, you know, it's late Mm sixties. The idea of coffee house, even in North Dakota, you know, that there's subculture's developing Mm -hmm. and there's beginning to be like a um Kind of cultural movement around, uh, maybe it's a cultural movement towards celebrating being native mm-hmm. in some sort of context or mm-hmm. or relevance. You see a lot of like appropriated spirituality and stuff like that from mm-hmm. like the the New Age or hip- hippie kind of kind of movement. Yeah, and the generation previous didn't have that experience. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was still. It's subtle, you know, but it's a, it's a movement in some sort of direction. So now you're in high school, you're being creative. You're seeing that in that like necessity of, of, um, uh, making a way in the world. Creativity was a viable Mm -hmm. kind of, kind of space. So what happens, what happens from Dickinson? Like where, where do you go from Uh, there?
1: Well, I was really, um, I remember I just couldn't stand those kids are and being at that school, I mean, I hated school, but I got through it. I mean, I, I got good grades and graduated from there, but um, I just remember not having a good taste about it. I didn't even want to say I'll graduate from Dickinson High School, you know, I was like, oh, but I, I guess I did really long for that, still missing out those years on the res, you know, growing up there. And I was like, when I graduated my school, I was 17, going to turn 18. And by that time, Grandma and Grandpa moved to Cannonball on the Standing Rock Reservation, and Daddy was kind of doing the same thing, you know, a, a, a catalyst. I don't know exactly what the job was, who paid him, what you know, but it was a catalyst thing, and he um, community catalyst, and and he helped them get the community together to start their first powwow and built the powwow grounds and organized all that, and they've had a powwow there every year since, and that was in 1970. Um, So I moved back there. I mean, I I thought I'm going to go there and spend my summer with them. This would probably be my last summer to spend with my folks, you know, so I'll just spend my summer there in Cannonball. And it was like it was like coming home in a sense, you know, like going back to my own res because I'd been in the southwest all these years and then and then having tribes from down there think you don't really, you're not native, you got blue eyes. And what kind of outfit is that? Northern Plains, you know, like, cause we had this, we had a, a Christmas pageant where everybody wore their own tribal um, uh, regalia. And there was a few from different parts of the um, United States, but mostly they were Navajo and Hopi, you know? And I just remember that kind of raising an eyebrow looking, you know, that, that really used to, mm. anyway, so I missed that. I missed um, the Northern Plains, my culture, you know, Northern Plains, my tribes, but also any any tribes up north, you know, was just like, ah, oh, the familiarity in the home. So when I went to Cannonball, it felt like that to me, you know, and by that time, Grandma and Grandpa already knew people there. I mean, they worked in the community, so they, they had close ties with people. I mean, you know, Natives, Indians, we're real um, family, you know. I mean, we, we get close to people and you become... You become relatives, you know, even if you're not blood. And so it was like that. And so it just felt good to me. And um of course, you know, I made friends and then I started learning how to drink beer and party. That that was the thing, you know. Even though it tastes awful, but that was, you know, that was the thing. It was my connect, you know. Like that was
3: the social component.
1: Yeah. To to res life or whatever you want to call it, you know, just that was You you know, that camaraderie, you know, it was, it felt good. I mean, it felt that, that um, sense of belonging, I guess, again, you know, even though it wasn't my res, it felt like it. I just, I really felt like that. Then, of course, I met your dad. So rodeo, and that was part of my life upbringing too, because they were, they, you know, grandpa roped and in his younger days, he rode Bronx and, and then Uncle JC rode Bronx. I mean, and Auntie Jackie Barrel raced. You know, I never got to do that because I was too young. And so I missed that part, too, you know. So I I wanted that. And so when I met your dad, he was a cowboy. He was a rancher. Oh, my God. We went horseback riding. You know, it was like, ah, everything was being fulfilled for me, you know. And let's see, I met him in, I don't know, sometime in the summer. but I think we started going out in like August or something like that. The end of July or beginning of August. So I didn't want to leave then, you know. He didn't want me to leave either. (laughs)
2: Obviously. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And then, anyway, I ended up getting pregnant. And so then we got married in uh, February. I had Shannon in uh, July. But um, it looked all good at first. And then... um, I mean, in my mind, you know, it was like, oh, this is perfect. It's just like what I, how I grew up and this is how it's going to be. I'm going to go horseback riding and move cattle and whatever's, you know. Um, that's how mom and dad were. And, um, I mean, we all took part, you know, when, when it came roundup time for branding and such. But it just changed. Like after the first year, it was like a 180. Is that when it switches completely opposite?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, um when I just kind of figured that's how it was going to be or that's how it is, you know. And of course, I grew up with powwows, you know, up until I was a seventh grader. And then I started dancing again. And um, your dad's life was rodeo, which was fine for a time. But there was never, a. Um, we didn't have a, a compatible thing when it came to the native side, you know, even though he was mixed like me. It was the upbringing was totally different, you know, his was more of the material and mine was not as far as powwows and, and giveaways. I mean, honoring, I was raised native way and he was raised more the white way. So valuing material more so and not understanding that whole giveaway thing or all that, you know, so that really became the, well, that and drinking, you know, that really became the wedge that grew us further apart but during that time I was still being creative and I started painting you know with oil and I was was kind of good at it you know I was surprising myself Um, I was painting like I would do pictures of like sitting bold at that time there was all these posters you know it was like during um, aim days you know and um, there was a lot of posters that that would come out with native sayings quotes you know and different well-known chiefs and people Native people, and so I started painting those. They were black and white, and that's kind of how I started painting them was just like sienna tones, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and shades, and I thought, mm, I can do this, and I just kind of developed it. It was really enjoyable too, and I just expanded on that, and different people would want me to paint stuff for them, you know, and I took a drawing class and such, but that wedge of our differences plus drinking and the whole mentality of... Uh, women are only to be looked at, not to be heard. They have no value other than cook for you and clean for you or whatever, you know, be there that I really, um, disdained because, I mean, that's how I grew up too. And I, that was one thing I did not want to be.
3: Yeah. And you have a, you know, you're, you're a part of, I'm a part of a long line of people who hate authority. Who rebel against authority? Grandpa had a hard time with authority. Yeah, you know that's yeah. what made him move around so much. Same with you. Mm-hmm. Same with me. Same yeah. with my son. <laughs> like the the intergenerational kind of kind of experience of that, and trying to figure out how to make a go at it and sustain that defiance. Yeah, um, where there's like a sense of <laughs> genetic integrity. <laughs> like I, I learned this from. And then go back further than that, you yeah, know, yeah. like to, to, uh, grandpa's three, uh, uh, grandmothers, mm-hmm, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, that. Yeah. And then his, the grandmother that raised him. Mm-hmm. Otka-dahesh. Yeah. She was. we come from a long line of <laughs> defiant people. Yeah. And like, it, it, we'll even self-destruct in order to sustain that. Integ- the integrity of defiance you know and then the wedge that was developed between you and my dad my dad being a cattle rancher mm-hmm. um, raised by a German man who came onto the res you know yeah and developed a, a cattle industry Not monopoly that. a mo- monopoly <laughs> yeah I mean and then let's look at the at the cultural subtext that's developing at the time you mentioned aim it's Mm -hmm. the it's the 70s it's the civil rights Mm
2: -hmm.
3: human Mm -hmm. rights Mm -hmm. you know yeah um and really i mentioned kind of alluded to it this this sense of pride for native people Mm -hmm. that was a moment of where it was catalyzed and like you know one of those big kind of steps in native politics and policy shift Mm -hmm. you know I mean, Grandpa used to say it all the time. You hear it. It's it's hard being an Indian. You yeah,
1: know? yeah.
3: And and you're mentioning it. This giveaway kind of kind of story. The cultural context of wealth being generated by what you give rather than what you have. Yeah. It's so contrary to the social model, the economic model. Yeah. Of the United States of America. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and then your you know, it is the civil rights movement. It is AIM, the American Indian movement. Mm-hmm. There's a celebration of us, and by 1978, it became legal in the United States for us to practice our ceremonies. That all of that was hidden and/or quieted, yeah, you know, or forgotten entirely, yeah, you know, out of necessity, out of survival. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that's shifting and changing. So you're developing a skill set of portraiture in oil mm-hmm. paints mm-hmm. that's referencing some of the, uh, posters and like, lang- you know, the visual language mm-hmm. of, of a movement. Mm-hmm. But all of this is happening in, Nor- in North Dakota, North Dakota, South Dakota. But yeah. that's also <clears throat> right at this nexus point of like wounded knee. You yeah. Know? That there was that, that, even though it was so far removed from the major kind of art hubs, the cultural influence of that region, especially for Native people, was huge. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there was a couple of pockets throughout the throughout the United States, but right where you're at at yeah. that time yeah. is that place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, you're starting to paint. People are interested in in seeing Native faces. Yeah. Even if they are kind of uh, historical historical references to, yeah. to some of our. Yeah. Yeah chiefs you know Mm -hmm. our leaders Mm -hmm. um, at a time where we're looking for leaders yeah yeah so then what happens
1: well I, I was just thinking about when you were talking about that my whole the state of mind that I was in at that time I mean as far as native our culture and looking at those paintings and knowing all the crap that has been done to our people and all you know all that has been taken away you know not only to our tribe but all the tribes and knowing that, being aware of that, I mean, I grew up with it, hearing it, it at the dinner table, you know, about grandpa talking about what's happening. And even though I was little, it it was there. And I I had that in my memory. So my paintings were real sad. Like I remember doing this painting of Sitting Bull and he has that kind of frumpy hat on, you know, and he just looks beaten down, you know, I mean, in, in that picture, it's He's been beaten down, and I just wanted to put that, his teary eyes. You know, I just wanted to put that feeling in there of, of what, had the hell happened. You know, yeah. I wanted people to feel bad. I wanted, you know, whoever, white people, to feel bad about this. You know, like.
3: But white people aren't your audience.
1: No, I know, but I, that's what I would thought. You know, I, I, when I was doing them, I just wanted people to be aware of that and to know that and feel that. And so, all my paintings. I mean, I remember doing a, a painting of um, Chief Joseph too, where there was. I always was really focused on the eyes, you know, and and always wanted to make them look like they were, they were watery, you know. Yeah. Just to. Uh, that was the feeling I had, though. You know, I just felt that anger and that sadness and resentment kind of feeling. So I did that a lot
3: in my portraits. <laughs> but they were feeling, people felt it, you know. It's so interesting to me because growing up, like at this time, I'm like maybe a baby, not, maybe not even born yet. No, you weren't even born yet. Yeah. Because, I mean,
1: really the turning point was when I got my name but you know up to that time they were they were that way
3: yeah yeah cuz there was a heaviness you know and all my entire history of seeing growing up around your art mm-hmm. there is there was um a joy that was embedded in the portraits you know in the sculptural forms in the figurative work there was a joy that seemed like it was so um like I'm sitting there thinking, like, yeah, good times. Why are they so happy? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, you know, and just thinking about that, and then asking you. Even I, I recall asking you, and it's like you were like, well, it's important that we see ourselves happy because <laughs> we don't.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, and hey. if I'm carving it in stone, yeah, I want to. I, I want that to be the 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 legacy of us. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. the joy that we could find in all of this, but it's interesting. Just, I don't know, trying to think of the of the context of the time and stuff like that. So you mentioned um, being named and I know we're not doing like a deep dive history, yeah. you know, yeah. moment to moment. I'm really interested in um, this kind of like birth, growth and uh, evolution of you as artist, and what happens, because I know you can't separate your art from your life
1: yeah or the spiritual side (laughs) i mean you know it's all one
3: yeah you know it's all one right right because we do we have talked quite a bit about ag uh cattle ranching cowboying, Mm -hmm. and all of the native people who have had that like growing up like what you would see on hollywood was this battle between cowboys and indians yeah and but growing up i was like uh, cowboys are Indians
1: <laughs> Right You know
3: Like all the cowboys That I know right. Farmers are white
1: <laughs> I know You know uh, Yeah
3: that's I know But all the cowboys Are, are Indian You know <laughs> Yeah um, And then you see that Across like Everywhere we went mm-hmm. You know Into the southwest um, All through the Great Plains Like mm-hmm. you You live something That's so contrary To the popular narrative Oh yeah Where you're just yeah. like Oh this is all myth like, it's all made up. Like, I couldn't look at any Western, you know, which I enjoy. I like watching a Western. But I couldn't watch any Western where <laughs> there were no cowboy Indians. You know, if you yeah. don't see that in popular culture. But um, I don't know. It's interesting how that affects the way you perceive the myth of a country. Mm-hmm. When everything that you see that tells the story of this place is false. And so you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. Like, yeah. I've seen it otherwise. And so all of this just looks like fun, you know. But I'm thinking about this in relationship to just the economy and the effect of um, being wards of a federal government. You know, the policies that were enacted, mm-hmm. the movement through uh, the American Indian movement, mm-hmm. that introduction of, of portraiture and art and telling our story mm-hmm. through our lens mm-hmm. to us, you know, kind of kind of narrative. Um, but art was used Arts and, let's say, crafts were used in the same method as agriculture for Native people come reservation period. Like, we we if you couldn't grow food, if you couldn't become a farmer like we wanted you to, mm-hmm. the only other viable economic thing was craft, craft things. And, you know, I went to school in the Southwest. You went to school in the Southwest. Um, and in the Southwest, there was a market for Native art. But it was like to to reproduce, to almost reinforce that myth yeah. that the Hollywood was was created. Yeah. You know, um, but there's a wedge being created between uh, you and my father. It's a, it's not even a wedge between you and my father, but also a wedge between your role as a woman and like the cultural context. Like my dad's mixed for sure, but he you know, was raised by a German man, uh, uh, who had a beef monopoly, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: you know, um, in a Catholic, uh, religious sense. Yeah. And that wasn't my, like, I didn't, I I didn't get indoctrined into that Mm -hmm. because of your, your, this wedge that's being created between you and my father, but almost you and my father as like models or metaphors between native way and this assimilation way yeah you know yeah so tell me tell me what happened there and you can if you if it's too personal you can also express it as this metaphor because that's how i see it yeah
1: yeah well it was there and i could try whenever the twain shall meet kind of thing you know there was that you're just going along trying to connect it but it wasn't happening and you know eventually it would, it got, the was got so wide that I was drinking. I was, it was like, what's good for the goose is good for the gander kind of thing. So um, there's that thing, you know, whatever he did, then he wasn't listening to me or cared what I was saying or th- what will my... What my expressions were so I just thought okay I'll play your game I don't care what you do I'm gonna do it too you know kind of thing and that happened for a while but I didn't feel good then you know it was like what the heck why am I here you know we're doing our own thing why am I here so I had an opportunity I would go visit Auntie Jackie down in Rosewood because she's lived down there I mean she moved had moved down there after she graduated and, and is with her husband I mean they were boyfriend and girlfriend then moved in together but I went down there and she worked at the community college and i go visit her sometimes on the weekend and just had um, Shannon and Cody at the time and, and I remember I got an opportunity to do a painting for, uh, um, she. Oh, at that time she was working for the RST, it was called Rosebud Sioux Tribe uh, Lumber or whatever, they had some kind of a lumber thing and um, they needed a sign painted so she asked me if I could paint this sign for $50. <laughs> mm-hmm wow yeah a <laughs> I'll come down there and I'll be, yeah it was like huge to me you know um, that was kind of a good it was good for me to do that because it was somebody from someplace else that valued whatever I did I mean as far as a painting anyway that was kind of opened the door to um, I, you know being the situation I was in and, and I you know would go there and do stuff anyway I was wanted at the college you know to teach drawing and painting in my situation. I didn't want to be in Fort Yates anymore. I didn't want to be there anymore. The it was not good. So we separated and we moved down to Rosebud and lived in Mission and I taught at the community college teaching um painting and drawing under some another I didn't have a degree but was under another person. You know, at, at that time you could do that under their degree you could teach and then I also worked in the, did that and taught, not taught, but worked as a secretary for the Lakota Studies class, I mean, department at Sintegleska in Rosebud. And so I did a lot of their, um, typed a lot of stuff for them. You know, they they would get a lot of their materials they got from that Francis DeSmet or whatever that um, was a Catholic, I don't even remember exactly, but... I always thought it was a man, but I think it was a, w- a woman. Anyway, I used to get so mad when I'd be typing stuff and reading them, you know. And and, and all this person's, you know, was, it had to do with their culture, their tribe. But her, I don't know if it's he or her, but their perspective. And that used to just irk the heck out of me. Their opinions were always in there, you know. And I remember I'd just get mad and I'd be saying stuff to those guys. It was... Um, Oh, what was his name? Victor um, Ben Blackout Junior. I think I don't can't remember if he's a junior or senior, but I remember that was his name. And and the other guy was Victor Duville that worked in this department. They used to just laugh at me, and they'd be like, "Oh, I know. But you just got to overlook that. They're just taking out the historical things, you know, from that. But you just got to overlook those what they're saying, you know. They would just laugh about it because it would just Make me cringe when I be typing them, you know.
3: Yeah, because you had to be you had to be a conduit for that exchange by yeah. typing it out. Yeah, you know, trans- transcribing yeah. some of these yeah. dialogues, yeah. and conversations it, um, that just ugh. used to just.
1: But at, at that time, being there and being around, you know, wasn't even my my tribes. But um, I had been not living on my reservation for several years. But like I said, it was Northern Plains, so it. Uh, it felt good to me, I just it was part of me, but anyway, it was there where where it started to um God, it was like two extremes, you know, I would go I really wanted that way I wanted um the old way of life, you know, I really longed for that and then but then there was partying on the weekends, you know, with my friends and testing out drugs, you know <laughs> it's like different kind of acids or whatever, so. I had these two paths, you know, I would be, I would be over here with my friends at party drank and did whatever kind of smoke up or do acid or whatever's, you know, and, and then, and then maybe the next weekend, like I met one of the, one of the real humble man who was like the um, maintenance guy or the janitor guy at the college, he, he um, invited, we would talk sometimes during breaks, you know, and, and he first time I ever went to a sweat was at his place, you know. It was him and his family, just him and his wife. They were old and their grandkids, you know, and it was the first time I ever went. And it was just like that thing just nod at me. I mean, it just felt fitting. I mean, it was hard. I was sat in the back and it was like, you know, but they um, taught me, you know, just things that they said to me and about. You know, you just pray about things and, and you know, pray about other things even though if it gets like that. I mean there was just all of those just real kind hearted people. And um so there would be that, might go to a sweat and then I and then there would they had ceremonies there, medicine people down there and um well there were men mostly and um went to ceremonies sometimes on a weekend, some and then, you know, another weekend I'd go party. And I never I mean I always felt bad about that partying part and i just really wished i could go this one way but i couldn't quite i didn't know how to i didn't know how to how what would i do for fun you know who would my friends be if i went this way that was really a thing you know
3: yeah geez you'd have to be humble a janitor <laughs> someplace Partying <What>? in indian
1: <laughs> wasn't wasn't that i just felt like what Kind of social life. Look at my friends going to be all my friends, you know, or that's where I went. And yeah.
3: And, and then let's once again embed this in the timeline. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's what 1977, 78.
1: It was like 75, 76 around there. Because um, I was there for like a year. I was away for about a year and a half, even and, though we'd go back. And I mean, let's
3: look at the fact that both of these ways that are tugging at you right now are both illegal in the united states <laughs>
1: right this is true but yeah, yeah we, we did went to ceremonies you know And you sit in there and you're it's completely dark and it's those spirits come in you hear them you you know you see light i mean it was really powerful you know and i but yeah it was i really longed for that and i didn't have that upbringing because of that outlaw stuff all i had was powwows I mean, at that time we called them celebrations, but my dancing and singing, hearing, you know, grandpa sang at the drum and we can't, that was my connection or my, that's the way I grew up, you know, and, um, and I always feel that inside and, and it always takes me back there a lot of times when I listen to old time songs, you know, um, but didn't grow up with the spirituality part. I mean, I grew up with learning about respect and, and how you don't look at, eagle feathers or medicines or, um, things like that, you know, that there's that, that sacred, you don't take things for granted and you treat it as such. I grew up that way, but I ne- you know, there wasn't ceremonies. And, um, so that was really felt good to me, you know, like really familiar or that's what I was longing for. It is real. You know, these are, this is for real, these spirits and that connection and stuff but it wasn't until, I mean, I kept doing that and doing that. And then, um, and then I went to, took a couple classes at, um, USD and Vermilion, uh, painting and, um, etching. And then that summer and because of a painting, I always think that's pretty cool that I ir- I mean, it's an uh, irony, but, but at the same time that, that art has that, um, I just wanna, it makes me want to cry, but has that i don't even know what to call it such another level that orchestrates things for you, you know that I did this painting, and because of this painting this portrait of this medicine man it was the it was the um, the tipping scale, you know because it because he valued it, and then he invited me to the Sundance, you know, so this, which I was never at.
3: So the person who sat for the portrait?
1: He didn't sit. It was, I didn't even meet him yet. His wife wanted me to do this painting of him because he was in prison at the time he was about to get out, in prison for wounded knee, you know, the the prisoners, the, the ones that had to go, he was the spiritual leader there and so he was in prison he was about to get out and she wanted this painting of him and her and auntie jackie were good friends so of course you know then i want to do it too and it was for free you know i just did it and um and then she gave it to him and then i ran into them i think at a powwow or something down there came up to me you know and was really happy about it told me that he just loved it because i made him look thinner and i made him look younger (laughs) that's what he said to me (laughs) You know, we laughed about it. (laughs) Um, But he said, I want to honor you and I want you to come to our Sundance. You know, I want to honor you there. But, you know, thinking, I mean, you kind of, I kind of take things with a grain of salt a lot of times, you know, because you think, well, you know, I don't want to put too much stock in it. Um, So I said, yeah, yeah, you know, but then I, I didn't really, I mean, I wanted to believe it, but I didn't really, really think it was going to happen I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I didn't know what, what that meant as far as how he was going to honor me. Um, but then I ran into him again at another gathering somewhere, and he reminded me and told me specifically where and what time, the, you know, the the dates, to be sure and be there. So then I thought, okay, this must be for real. So And it was getting closer to that time, so I told Mom and Dad, because again, like because our, our culture is especially... Up there at Fort Berthold, I mean, at that time, it's more like that throughout the United States now with tribes. But we were really known for that. You know, our, our three tribes were really looked up to that way. I mean, I remember that whole thing. I mean, them talking about that. and I just remember hearing that a lot of times, you know, Fort Berthold, they really can give away. They really have good giveaways. You know, they really they really like to do that. And so given that you know i had to tell mom and dad that i was going to be honored i didn't know what that was going to happen but he wanted to honor me there and so they gathered up their goods you know and brought them down i mean i was poor and i have nothing to
3: you know (laughs) give (laughs) to provide cultural context when you are honored you don't in our culture you don't receive right anything but the honor yeah and in the act of that the, the your sense of honor and your sense of wealth has a cost and the cost is giving. Yeah. And um, and it's so contrary, you know, we yeah. have we have wealth is generated through generosity. So if you're honored, then you give away. Yeah, because you're, you're
1: so honored.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, in the culture that we exist in presently, that's um that's so contrary I know it's 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 once again let's talk about 180s you know it's yeah the, it's the polar opposite yeah you know and yep. that that's that's what grandpa used to say about it being hard being in India. yeah you know is yeah. that in the in the society that we live in the more you have the more wealthy you are but in the culture that we were raised in the more you gave away the more wealthy you were, yeah you know yeah it was the, it was the honor. It was a, it was not a monetary exchange. It was how much, mm-hmm. well, how much generosity do you have? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I got all kinds of generosity. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but I don't think, you know, so maybe there might be listeners who don't understand that exchange. So I just wanted to make that clear as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it, it, and it's no matter what you had, I mean, no matter how wealthy money wise you were, you still found a way to do this. I mean, I swear, I don't know how they did, but they did. And of course, ground-made quilts, but still.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, they came down and uh and the whole time, you know, when I went there, I would, wasn't planning on quitting drinking. I wanted to, but I wasn't planning on it because I didn't know how. You know, like I was saying, those two paths, I didn't know how to quit the other one. And I, I don't think it was because I couldn't quit the chemical. It was the Social, thing, yeah. you know, Um, and then and I remember going there not really knowing what was going to happen. And we and we were there and I kept every day I kept thinking, well, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? You know, but every day I got less and less at, at the Sundance thinking about when is this going to happen? I mean, it would be in the back of my mind, but the whole time being there and. Being an observer, being part of the people there, it really worked on me, and I don't know—it was timing, you know, serendipitous timing or whatever. I mean, but it was all because of that painting, you know. Then I mean, to me, I was just feel like you know, spirits came in and fixed it up for me to do all this, you know, make it happen. Let's fix this up so she can, (laughs) you know, make that decision or whatever, you know, and and um. Like I always wanted an Indian name my whole life because I was had blue eyes and always having to struggle with that even on my own reds you know growing up I mean uh, country school and stuff um, my 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 identity because that's what I identified with even though mom was Norwegian it she because her parents disowned her she disowned her culture you know and then was adopted into our culture by um, Mini Spotted Wolf and she took her as her daughter and dressed her, you know, that, that's how they did it a long time ago. dressed you and your, your whole outfit, you know, your, your dress, your shawl, your moccasins, all the beadwork, everything, and give you Indian name and give you a clan. I mean, you, you, you give you that Indian name, but along with that adoption, you become that clan of that who adopted you, you know, so that was huge. And I think mom embraced that, you know, took that in. Um, but anyway, that, because of the mixture, I always wanted the Indian name and an eagle feather. I always wanted an eagle feather. But I always, somewhere inside me knew that I had to earn it. You know, I kn- yeah. that was my whole thing. I mean, even though people would get them or be able to wear them and stuff, I just felt like I needed to earn this. I didn't, and I never voiced it to anyone about either one probably because I was a little embarrassed about you know not I don't want to say I want an Indian name you know (laughs) I don't want to spray express it to anybody you know and um my brother got an Indian name again there's that male female thing you know what I grew up with um and none of us did but so that was something I wanted and uh, never said and I guess while at one time when I wasn't sitting by grandma and grandpa at the Sundance you know he came and asked them um what my Indian name was and they Oh, she doesn't have one, you know, which was kind of unusual, probably in Rosebud at the time, you know, um, anyway,
3: what you've never asked for
0: one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't give in probably, I don't know. I don't really, I can't go into what grandpa, but you know, he grew up boarding school and that whole thing about language and culture, all of that, you know, but I don't know why he named my brother, not me, (laughs) I mean, not us, but, um, Anyway, nonetheless, at finally on the last day, after everything was done, I mean, it had worked on me so much. I I, I couldn't wait to, it just came to my face or just hit me that, that I wasn't doing my part in the world for my life, for everything. You know, I just felt like I'd never been giving back. I'd always been taking and feeling sorry for myself. You know, always asking Creator to help me. Oh, poor me. But when i was there and seeing all the sacrifice that people were making even though they didn't know me i really took it personal you know i I really felt they were doing it for me and whether they knew me or not they were affecting me you know and it just really made me want to give back i just thought oh i need i just need to do this i just felt you know and so you know there was that whole thing during that time you go out you, you might make a commitment you know there was rounds that you could give flesh there anyway i don't I don't want to go into depth about it but yeah. there was all that that worked on me and i just felt it deep down inside and um and then on that last day when it, when this when the Sundance was over and the fasting was going to quit and everybody was going to go in the sweat and then you know have the feet he came and got me because i thought well this isn't gonna happen i guess you know but oh well and came and got me and um and I was like, "Oh, this is really going to happen." Whatever it was, I had no idea. And and took me out. They had a um, like a ladder kind of a thing with that they would um, that was laying on the ground that they would the people the men that would pierce uh, from the hanging. Most of them didn't, but every now and then somebody would pierce the hang. And they would lift him up, and that was lined with sage. And they would the man would stand on there, and they'd lift him up to to loop the ropes to let him hang. And he took me out there and stood me on that scaffolding and I just,
2: hmm.
1: it makes me cry, but it was like, I don't even, I'm not worthy, you know, even to stand on there. That's how I felt. Yeah. Just was like, what did I do? You know? Uh, and, um. And then he talked about me and talked about that painting, you know, even said to people, you know, how I made him look young and slim and he really liked it. He ended up giving it away. But um, then he had to, you know, this medicine man from Pine Ridge do a pipe ceremony for me. I mean, that's the front of all these people, you know, it was just, it was really humbling and surreal at the same time that never, ever anything near that had ever happened to me, you know to be somebody, <laughs> gee, you know. But it, it, it you know, he, they named me and then, and then uh, put an eagle feather, center feather in the back of my head. It was like, um, uh, things like that. I just know those things are real. Spirit, spiritual. You know, those sacred things, they're for real. It's not just, um, not just myths or things, stories they talk about, you know, it it, it it's like um, a dream come true that you didn't manipulate to make it happen. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a dream that happened that you didn't even know. Was a possibility. I know. Right? Like, this is... This is so... Here I am. 19... Late 70s.
1: 77.
3: <laughs> having, you know, going... To, trying to find myself. And and trying, my, trying to find my place in relationship to culture. And who is... Who are we? You know? Um, spent time away from the res. Away from the land. Longed for that. Returned. Found it in another place, but close. You know? Um... Lakota nations, Northern Plains and river, you know, connected to the river, but getting to know this and, and celebrate and be proud of identity for the first time in a hundred years, generation, generation and a half of, of trying to find that pride in that. You don't even know what's possible. Yeah. Didn't have access to what was possible. The closest thing you had was powwow. You yeah. Know? And all of the doings that go around that. And yeah. all of that is hidden messages mm-hmm. around our context. You know, these different dances, these are medicines. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But we hid them.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, hid yeah. them in a, in, a, in a celebration. Yeah. Let's have a celebration of yeah. our culture. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. But real powerful stuff. And you get the reference of it, but you don't even know why, mm-hmm. what, it, what it means. So now here you are in this place being honored by people because you did a painting, of somebody, made them look good, you know, um, and it's, and it's, and it's interesting because once again, we're artists, you know, we work in a, in a, in a, an economy that transforms art into an object, it's, it's these things, but you and I were just talking late last night about this relationship we have with art and it not being an object but a friend somebody who looks out for us yeah. you know something that's not an object but is a practice mm-hmm. you know is a, is an exchange um alive alive and will speak for you
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know just like just like this man spoke for you in front of his tribe yeah you know in front of the people yeah the f- first one to speak for you to him was that artwork yeah you know yeah and it spoke in a language that you didn't understand, you know. Yeah. But it spoke for you. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's interesting. Just interesting to yeah. think about these about these, you know, little seeing it from just outside of it.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, well, and and the reason of telling that was because that was the turning point of my art from the sadness and heaviness to what is positive, you know, what is good. I mean, it made me realize at that time that, especially because I went and fasted right after that, you know, like I couldn't wait to give back. I mean, like that. it was almost like you had to kind of clean the slate a little bit, you know, that's how I felt. So I had to do kind of go out and do that. But um, in that and because of the ceremony and the naming and that, they all worked together, but it, it made me realize that these spirits are still here. No matter what bad has happened to our people and no matter what they've so-called taken away, put the land in their names or did this and that, that's still there. I mean, this was really profound to me that and the spirits are still there. They're not gone and, and and we can still keep that connection and um and be build on that you know be be positive and and so i and I was feeling so grateful you know had so much gratitude and and wanted to share that more so you know felt like I had been um putting out sadness and you can't build on that you know you can't build something constructive and productive I mean good out of sadness you know it, it just makes you feel bad and and then hopeless almost you know like what can you do kind of a thing I mean that was this this is my perspective so I just felt like I wanted to build on what we have and what was possible I guess you know and to put love put love out there more so that's more powerful than the negative that's what I really really felt and I still Feel that, you know, I still want to. It It's hard because you want to have that feeling out there. But at the same time, you want to make a big difference. I mean, it kind of got to that point where I felt like, uh, people aren't getting it. You know, it's just like, oh, it's so beautiful. Almost like a romanticized thing, you know, that we're, um, I wanted to, people to see the harmony and the balance. I mean, that that that's what we need in our lives. And probably more so towards Native people than white people that were the buyers. You know what I mean? And yeah, it made them feel good. And that made me feel good that it made them feel good. You know, maybe put a smile on their face. That's a positive thing, whether no matter what color you are, you know, and that it would be constructive and that it would make good things happen, you know. (laughs)